0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
2: Don't call me- show if you expect me to agree with you 100% if you can't handle the heat I'm telling you don't call don't do it a the world would be boring if we all agreed b I have opinions so do you it's okay for us to disagree it's sports this is not life or death it's not the war in Afghanistan it's not the fight against cancer it's sports so why should we all agree it would be boring that way this is after
1: hours with Amy Lawrence
2: All of your responses, we got hundreds of them to our question on the last show, which was the toughest job in sports. And I originally thought of this question. It was born through my musings about Doc Rivers and then Jacques Vaughn and different NBA coaches and pro sports coaches in general, where there is no job security and very little stability in the job uh, for more than a handful of guys out there. And then we're just talking head coaches. Think about coordinators and position coaches and all the other coaches whose jobs are largely wiped out when a head coach gets fired. Not all of them and not automatically, but a lot of them. So I was thinking coaching, that's the toughest job in sports. But you all came up with some really incredible answers. And if you haven't seen them, I know Ryan retweeted a bunch of them from our show account, After Hours CBS. Uh, I really enjoyed the creativity that you all came up with. Uh, For instance coaching Aaron Rodgers, the toughest job in sports. That was the submission of one of our Facebookers. Uh, If you haven't seen them, they're still online there after hours with Amy Lawrence on Facebook, plus our YouTube channel. And then our phone number, 855-212-4227. That's 855-212-4CBS. Yeah, Doc Rivers takes over for Adrian Griffin. And with the two superstars, it's supposed to be smooth sailing. But it's not been.
1: Obviously, you want to win games, and obviously, you would love to be healthy so you can win games. But something good will come out of all this stuff. Um, you know, we we talk about it all the time. Sometimes you got to go through stuff to get stuff, and we're we're going through it right now.
2: Well, that is certainly true. In the first ten games under Doc Rivers, since he took over for Adrian Griffin, the Bucks are three and seven. Now remember, they were one of the top teams in the league with thirty wins when Griffin was fired, and now they've seemingly backpedaled. So what gives? We're pleased to welcome Colin Ward-Henniger, longtime CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ NBA insider from the Bay Area, joining us now here on CBS Sports Radio. Well, let's start there, Colin. What is wrong with the Bucks?
3: One thing is that Doc Rivers was brought in to kind of, you know, take over the leadership role and get the players, the superstars, a.k.a. Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard on his side. I don't think a 3-7 and seven start is, is really the way to do that, so I don't know if he's instilling the kind of confidence in those two players and the rest of the group uh, moving forward with a team that is basically championship or bust, and that's why they fired Adrian Griffin. One slightly positive sign uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks is that their defense has improved. It went from 19th before Doc Rivers took over Uh, to 12th now in his last 10 games, Uh, that's been offset by just horrific offense and and really trying to figure out the Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, pick and roll, which was supposed to be this absolute deadly weapon you could go to it any time and get a good shot. It just simply hasn't been that. It wasn't that way under Griffin. It hasn't been that way under Doc Rivers. So that is really what he needs to figure out in this final home stretch.
2: I'm kind of blown away by that because as much as a coach can stand there and diagram and dial up, uh, pick and roll, it's not that complicated. It's one of the first things that you learn when you play high school basketball. So what is the issue with the two
3: of them who are world-class players? Yeah, it's a great question. Part of it is buy-in. They haven't been running as many as people thought they would be in terms of the pick and roll. So maybe there's something there with with the players themselves. Giannis not wanting to be a screener. Uh, Dame wanted to kind of find offense in different ways. Uh, But really, it it kind of goes back to what what Giannis said at the beginning of the season. He was kind of surprised at the way teams were playing them. So essentially, they're going to blitz Damian Lillard, make him get the ball out of his hands, and then they're going to load up in the paint. Uh, to make sure Giannis can't have an easy roll to the basket. That leaves players open, but it's their, you know, third, fourth, fifth best players on the team, and those are the guys who are getting the shots. So uh, defenses are basically saying, anyone but you two, if you guys want to beat us, go for it. Uh, and I think that that Giannis expressed that he was a little surprised uh, that, that getting shots for Damian Lillard and Giannis himself Was that difficult and that they were kind of relying on their supporting cast? So um, you'd think that it would get better as the season went along, but it really hasn't seemed to. But like you said, this is a simple play. This is what everyone in the NBA runs. So for them, two of the best offensive players we've seen in the last 20 years, to not be able to figure it out, it's a little concerning.
2: At this point, they faded back to third place in the Eastern Conference. It's been cool to see the Cavaliers grow up a little bit and put some pressure on Boston. But as you look at the Eastern Conference, Colin, who is the best challenger to battle Boston down the stretch?
3: Yeah, that's tough. Boston is just such a good team. It's it's hard to watch them sometimes because they're so good. They're boring in in certain ways. Um, (laughs) Cleveland, if, if they can continue down the path that they're on, they'll be an interesting kind of surprise team. But when you think of Cleveland, you think of their horrible playoff exit in the first round last year where they were just absolutely dominated by the Knicks. Uh, and then you, you think the Knicks, you know, if they can get OG Ananobi back and everybody's healthy, they've been playing great with him. But do you trust Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson uh, in a in a playoff series? Brunson's going to be great on offense, but we saw a team just continually target him on the other end of the floor. So I, I don't know if the Knicks are there. To me, it ultimately comes down Dude, the team that we were talking about, the Bucks, if they could somehow figure this out, they have one of the greatest basketball players on earth. That always goes a long way. And then the 76ers, if somehow Joel Embiid can come back and be relatively healthy heading into the playoffs, that is an absolute handful. They were playing great before he got injured. So, um, you know, barring the Miami Heat <laughs> getting a matchup with the Celtics, as we've always, obviously seen then be able to just kind of turn things on in the playoffs. I think if you're just looking at who the worst matchups are, I'd say just Giannis with the Bucks and then Embiid with the 76ers.
2: Typical heat, languishing in seventh place, only to turn it up when they get to the postseason with that defense intensity for them. <laughs> Who's a the team that
3: has surprised you in the East? I kind of saw the Pacers thing coming. Like, I thought they were going to be better. I didn't think they were going to be sixth in the Eastern Conference at this point. Uh, they are a really fun team to watch. Tyrese Halliburton got to put on a show in the the event that will not be named that took place over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> but he's uh, – the way they push the pace, uh, the Pascal Siakam addition, I think, is going to be great for them, not just this year, but moving forward because they just don't play any defense whatsoever. So to have a, a long-rangey switchable guy – uh, I think that's uh, going to go a long way for them moving forward. But um, you don't want to play this team in the first round. I mean, they're going to put up 130, 140 points a game. They're not going to play any defense. But if you can't score, if you have an off-shooting night, uh, they could beat you, you know, potentially three, four games and seven-game series. So I've I really enjoyed watching the Pacers this year.
2: We're excited to look ahead to the second half, even though it's past the midway point, with CBS Sports insider Colin Ward-Henniger, who is based in the Bay Area and joins us here after hours on CBS Sports Radio. Let's talk about the big story in the Bay, which is the Warriors, Draymond out, Draymond back. But now they move Klay Thompson to the bench, and there's this talk about him becoming the most valuable sixth man in the NBA. What do you think of that move?
3: I I love the move. I think that it's probably something that the organization has been thinking about for a long time, uh, but it's just a hard move to pull the trigger on. I mean, this guy, he's going to have a statue outside the arena one day. He is absolutely beloved in the Bay Area. It's hard to kind of explain to people how much Bay Area fans love this guy. So to see him go to the bench, especially after all that he's been through the, the Achilles, the ACL, uh, being called out by national media saying that he's not the same player, the, the way that he's just been so vulnerable uh, when in his press conferences and admitting that he's coming to grips with the fact that he's not the same player that he used to be. He's been dealing with that all season and mentally – Uh, Steve Kerr always says that Clay is so hard on himself that when he has bad shooting nights, which he's had a lot of this season, that he just beats himself up and kind of takes himself out of the game. So all this to say, I think the move to the bench will be good for both sides. I think Clay can come in as he did in his first game off the bench since his rookie year, puts up 35 points, just gets hot right away. That's not going to happen every night, but at least now, when he comes in, he doesn't have to think about all this stuff. You can just be our heat check scorer, if you miss three, four in a row, maybe Kerr pulls him to put them in with a different unit, something like that. But the pressure is a little bit off of Clay Thompson. It also allows Brandon Pajemski, the rookie, to enter that starting lineup. And the numbers with him in Clay's spot with the rest of those starters has been really, really good for the Warriors. How much does that have to do with the surge?
2: They've won eight of their last ten, though they are still sitting in tenth in the West.
3: Yeah, it tells you how much ground they needed to make up, right? So they're 8-3 and three in their last 11 games. And really the key to that has been Draymond Green. You mentioned it. Uh, in and out of the lineup because of suspensions. uh, We didn't really know whether he was actually going to come back this season. Uh, He's just been tremendous since they came back. Steve Kerr put him in as the starting center, which used to be their kind of closing lineup, the desk lineup, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Now that's their starting lineup. And Kerr said, you know what, the the way the NBA has gone, we need to play faster, we need to play smaller, we need to spread the floor. Uh, And that's exactly what Draymond's done. He's done that on offense. And then what he brings defensively, uh, they were 24th, in the NBA and defense prior to Draymond's return since he's been back their fifth. So it it just tells you everything you need to know about what this guy's bringing. Now, can you trust him to continue his, you know, good walk that line between passion and kind of chaos? I, I don't know. As of now, the Warriors, you know, Kerr says, this is the team, this is our team, this is the way we want to play. They've got Chris Paul coming back, Gary Payton's healthy. Uh, it seems like they've got a lot of momentum, but as you said, sitting in tents with the teams above them, that, that they're not bad. Like They're mm-hmm. not going to just start losing games out of nowhere. So it, it's going to be a, an uphill climb for sure. The top of the West has four teams that are separated
2: by just three games in the standings. Timberwolves down to the defending champion, Nuggets. How much actual separation is there among those four?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, the whole season you're just kind of waiting for Minnesota and Oklahoma City to start falling back, and they may have it. I mean, Minnesota, uh, they have the best record against teams above 500 in the entire NBA, 23-11, and 11, have some signature wins over the Clippers, over the Thunder, the teams that are right below them. So uh, with the number one defense in the league, you're just going to win a lot of regular season games because every single night you're going to be in it. You're not going to get blown out. Uh, so, I, you know, uh, the Timberwolves have really impressed me this season. The Clippers, I think, are the upside pick, where uh, they might not be as concerned with getting that number one seed, uh, but when they get to the playoffs, they're going to be a team that certainly has, uh, you know, championship potential. The Thunder, to me, are still a little young, uh, but with a player like Shea, Gilgis Alexander, I mean, they can go as far as he can take them, basically. But ultimately, to me. Uh, It's the Nuggets. I think that we're going to start to see they kind of, you know, uh, were were pretty bad heading into the all-star break. But I think they're going to flip that switch, start to see the playoffs coming and really have to get into gear here because they know repeating is going to be much more difficult uh, than it was last season with, with injuries and different seedings and things like that. Ultimately, I think Denver will probably climb up to that number one spot, but all those teams are very good.
2: Colin Ward-Henniger of CBSSports.com and CBS Sports HQ with us here after hours on CBS Sports Radio. You can snicker at the championship hangover, and yet teams really do have to fight through that. Whether it is complacency or just fatigue from having the season, the previous season stretch on, it definitely does seem to be a challenge for teams, especially those who have not won a championship before.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as Pat Riley always talked about the disease of more and all that stuff and more shots, more money, you know, more minutes, all those things. And then Denver also, you know, they lost Bruce Brown, which is he's a big part of their team. They didn't have a deep rotation. So to lose a bench piece like that, who was essentially their backup point guard, they've kind of struggled to fill that role with Reggie Jackson and some of their younger players. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, do you trust Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray? to perform in the playoffs of course those are two of the best in the game and they play together so well it's that supporting cast you're kind of wondering you know are they going to be able to step up the way that they did last year and how are they going to make up for the departure of bruce brown
2: at this point it seems unlikely colin that joel Embiid will repeat as mvp though he is still leading the league in points per game who's trying to wrestle that mvp away from joel
3: yeah, I think at this point, Joel, I has missed too many games. It's a 65-game limit, so I think he's officially been ruled out, uh, which is unfortunate because he was having just a, an absolutely monster season. Uh, but as of now, I think, uh, you know, the betting favorite, I believe, is Jokic. Uh, he's always always going to be a safe bet. The numbers he puts up, the fact that Denver wins, the on-off numbers with him are just phenomenal. But to me, as of right now, if I was voting, I would say that Shea Gildas-Alexander is the MVP of the NBA. Uh, the, the narrative is all there. The Oklahoma City Thunder, one of the youngest teams in the league, weren't expected they were obviously on an upward trajectory, but not expected to contend for the number one seed in the Western Conference. And then what Shea's been able to do, averaging thirty, you know, more than thirty points and not shooting a ton of three pointers, just over three per game, his numbers on and off are, are ridiculous. The the Thunder averaged 122 points per hundred possessions when he's on the floor, which would basically be the best offense in the history of the nba and when he leaves that drops down to 111 so you want to talk about value you want to talk about narrative you want to talk about a guy who scores a lot i think Shea Gilders alexander would be the mvp for me right now
2: could i potentially interest you in luka Doncic as a dark horse considering that dallas is kind of right there attempting to stay out of the play-in tournament he's got excellent offensive numbers but he's also averaging nearly nine rebounds a game what do you think
3: you're never going to go wrong with Luca Doncic, and Dallas is, is a hot team right now. Uh, him and Kyrie Irving have played tremendously together. Um, Luka's numbers are, are off this, they're out of control. Like you, you see these things that that he puts up, and in watching his seventy point game against the Hawks and all this stuff, um, the only question for them has been their record, right? Like if, if you're a seven seed, can you be? Can you have the MVP on your team? And, and there's so many guys putting up these kind of mind-boggling stats this year, it's going to be very interesting to see where the voters decide to to make the separation. Is it stats? Is it analytics? Is Mm. it the team's record? Um, That's going to be a, 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 and there's always the voter fatigue where you say, okay, well, we don't really want to vote for Jokic. You want some new blood. Um, (laughs) A guy like Luca, if he can, move that team up' they're, they're definitely within striking distance of a five seed maybe a four seed if they can have a strong push towards the end of the so the end of the season uh, get that in the voters' minds while he's averaging 35, 12 and 12. I mean certainly a possibility.
2: before we let you go, I'm not going to ask about the game per se because I really don't care but I did love the shootout between Sabrina and Steph. Why was that good for the NBA?
3: Oh, it's tremendous. First of all, it's something new. <laughs> um, as we've seen, the, the dunk contest has lost a lot of steam. Um, the three-point contest is fun. But to see something that's it's a head-to-head battle, obviously, kind of a battle of the sexist thing. Uh, and and to, to show the NBA fans uh, how far the WNBA has progressed. I mean, I know a lot of the, the NBA writers that I know love the WNBA. Um, a lot of basketball fans love watching the WNBA because of how – well those players have done in recent years and how much the game has progressed. So um, to see that and then to see, obviously, just Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time against the greatest shooter in the WNBA right now, I think it's a very interesting proposition. It was by far the highlight for me of All-Star Weekend. And I loved that they said afterwards that, yeah, like we should do this every single year, whether or not it's Steph and Sabrina, maybe it's two other players, maybe they mix in some more, uh, to somehow try to continue that kind of event Uh, Into the years to come, I think it's a really good idea. If you can shoot, you can shoot. That had to be my favorite
2: thing that I heard around this three point competition from Sabrina Inescu. If you can shoot, you can shoot, period.
3: That's what I always say at 24 Hour Fitness, but nobody believes me.
2: (laughs) Colin Ward Henniger is with us from the Bay Area getting set for the stretch run in the NBA. You can find him on Twitter. At Colin with one L CBS Sports. Always good to catch up with you. Enjoy the rest of the season. Hopefully, we'll talk to you in
3: the playoffs. Great, thank you so much for having me.
2: Bay Area represent uh, Colin in the San Francisco Bay Area, and as we were setting up the interview, he was telling us that there's a major buzz about Clay Thompson and how much they love him in the Bay Area, but how bad his shooting has been. He works hard. He loves playing basketball more than anything. He puts so much into it, but at times you wonder if it's also mental, right? Because he cares so much and he and he wears the disappointment, the failure, and he, he carries that around like a heavy weight. And man, you know, when your legs are heavy, your shots don't drop. On Twitter, A Law Radio, also on our Facebook page. And then on uh, the phones, if you want to reach us, 855 212 4227. That's 855 for 212 cbs Forget Babel. Teoscar Hernandez is teaching Shohei Otani a few phrases in Spanish. It's awesome. That's next here on CBS Sports Radio.
3: You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
2: This portion of the show is brought to you by Wesley Financial. Are you stuck in a timeshare and want out? Contact Wesley Financial Group now. And get a free timeshare exit information kit at wesleyfinancialgroup.com. Gosh, that's become a really big business. And companies that can get clients out of timeshares, it's a little bit like a black hole. And I remember, like a lot of young people do, you're just out of college or... No, I didn't get married till later, obviously. But my brother and sister-in-law got married really early, just out of college, and receive some information, come to a free session, ask all your questions about a timeshare, hear about why it's the best thing you'll ever do with your money in your whole life. And then you get a free gift or sometimes they offer you free plane tickets. I don't know if they do do that anymore, but I remember when I was younger, my brother and sister-in-law went and They were offered free plane tickets. I do remember I went to a meeting like that, and I don't recall with whom, but I went to a meeting with a friend or something, and we ended up walking out because it was clear that it was a sham. And so finally, my friend, it was a guy, but I don't don't recall who it was. I just remember that he was telling me to get up, get up, let's go, let's go. This is a total sham. We're not going to get our free plane tickets. Uh, And so we did. We got up and we walked out, but my brother and sister-in-law ended up buying one or buying into a timeshare and while they've kept theirs, the the money that they pay into it, and some years they don't even use it. I think their actual timeshare they've used one time. So they bought a timeshare with the idea that they would trade it away and bank it and use other timeshares around the world. And they have. They've gone to Hawaii multiple times and not had to pay for lodging. But there are so many unwritten fees or so many fees in the fine print. Plus there's an HOA type of fee or a, a community fee and activities fee, a membership fee, and there's nothing you can do about it. Once you're in, there's nothing you can do about the fees going up. They just continue to go up. And I am, I'm continually astounded by the fact that they won't let you out no matter what you do. It's as though you've signed a lifetime contract, and there is nothing else in the world like that. Even marriage, which is supposed to be a binding lifetime contract, uh, you you can get out of that relatively easily. Not that I'm looking, uh, but what is it about timeshares that people get in and then they're never allowed out? It's like a secret society. It's a cult. It is a cult. Absolutely, is a cult. How do they do that, though, legally? How can they keep you in it and never let you out?
4: Because it's in the fine print. Oh,
2: it's, yeah, I don't know how people continue to do it, though. Like, why would you continue to sign up unless you found the perfect timeshare that you know you're going to use every single year? Even then, the fees continue to go up, 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 up. But considering the reputation of timeshares, why would you ever do it?
4: Because you hear free, and you're like, oh, free tropical No, vacation. come on, we can't
2: be that dumb. You say that. (laughs) This is how I know that uh, generationally we don't always accept the truth as the truth. When, let's see, when was it? Maybe 10 years ago, uh, one of my producers at the time, Tom and I, we started talking about the Titanic. And he was telling me that there is an entire segment of the population that does not believe the Titanic actually happened. Even though there's photos, there's videographic evidence, uh, they now have the, the incredible sonar technology and advanced photography where they've taken photos of the ship on the ocean floor. And the topographical map, you can see the two parts of the ship very clearly outlined on the floor of the ocean. And yet, and there's artifacts. No, people do not believe it was real. They think it was just a movie. How is that possible? They had to find
4: the boat somehow.
2: (laughs) Anyway, I went to a Titanic exhibit when I was in Las Vegas because that's the kind of nerdy thing that Bob and I love. And it's actually parked at the Luxor. It's like a permanent exhibit at the Luxor. And they have thousands of artifacts as well as this huge piece of the hull. It's the largest piece of the boat that's ever been pulled up. And they do say that within... I don't remember the exact time frame, 15 years or so, 20 years, the the ship will have completely disintegrated, that there's very little left of it because of, you know, the forces of the ocean, not to mention the animals that are on the bottom of the ocean floor, that it's essentially eating away the ship. So they pull up this hull, this piece of the hull. It's probably the entire size of my living room wall. I mean, it's, it's a large piece. It's got a couple of portholes with the windows that are, that, that were uh, pressurized and broken. But it's pretty amazing. And as I was walking through there, I'm thinking, how in the world can people think all of this was just made up? <laughs> they, just, they made it up. People's space, stories. What, space landing, too. Uh, right. The space landing as well. I mean, there's actual video of that. How do you think that's made up? Hollywood. Right. But not then. Not from 1969. It's been around for a really long time. The video. They didn't have the technology to make that stuff up. Back then, the moon landing comes to mind, or actually came to mind in the last week and a half, right? Because the Super Bowl, they had to be careful how you talked about it. It was the most watched TV program, TV show, TV program in U.S. history, but it was not the most watched live event, or as they called an event. Because that was the moon landing in 1969 where you had the vast majority of American households and American TVs tuned into that. Uh, Is there one event in history that you wish you had been alive to see? For me, it is the moon landing. But, Ryan, you and I are different ages. What's one event that you wish you had seen, uh, like, that happened in your lifetime that you had seen live? Oh, my gosh.
4: I need time for this one.
2: Oh, okay. Fine. You can think about it.
4: (laughs) Because (laughs) I don't know if I want to go ancient.
2: Oh, yeah. But how would you have seen an ancient piece of history when you weren't... There were no TVs in ancient history.
4: It would have been fine. I would have been there. Like, if I could time travel to one time. Oh, gotcha.
2: Okay. All right. You're playing it that way. I was thinking more about, like...
4: Like, watch something? Right.
2: I couldn't have been on the moon to see it. Right? Like, there's no way that I would have been on the moon. But I wish I had been alive at the time to be able to just be part of the spectacle and the buzz. I mean, we know from firsthand accounts as well as from the video itself, but all the the books and stories and news accounts that were done leading up to this point, the space race with uh, the USSR and with China, and then, of course, the actual moon landing itself and the fact that people – I mean, you had to take a nap in in the middle, right? because they landed on the lunar surface and then they took, I think it was a five or six hour. they were supposed to be napping. they they didn't, but a rest before they could get out of the of the uh, Apollo and then get onto the surface of the moon. So people at home had to wait five and a half, six hours. And if I remember correctly, it was either late at night or early in the morning. And so you've got kids who are sleeping all over people's houses. They're, you know, they're waiting, they're begging their parents, make sure you wait, you know, you wake us up in time. It wasn't convenient for the vast majority of Americans. And yet, I mean, most of the country was tuned in. It was an incredible time and that just would never happen anymore. And the Super Bowls. I get that it's real and it's live, but it's a sporting event, so it's not quite the same thing.
4: What if we do another moon landing? Do you think as many people will watch? I think that would be more. Really? Yeah.
2: Okay. If it could be broadcast live.
4: It's the real one, as some people would think.
2: (laughs) And the technology and the quality of the video, I bet, would be a lot better.
4: Yes. But to answer your question, is it cheating to say Woodstock, one of them, either 99 or 1969 one?
2: No. Is that your choice? Of all the significant events in U.S. history or world history, that's your choice? Well, I'm thinking with the
4: TVs. Like maybe oh, okay. Am I going to really want to see like the Berlin Wall fall? No, right. Not really.
2: That was pretty incredible. It I'll is, tell it's you what, incredible, but I remember it. But I want to watch that. Not really. So. Oh, I'm, you got chills. It, there was tears and chills. Just knowing, the num- like watching the people exult on top of the wall as it's coming down was phenomenal. Something else that I think, though, so Woodstock is an interesting answer. But something else that I think uh, that I would have wanted to see, and, and, and this sounds more, but I don't mean it to be. I just mean more the significance of history is JFK and the coverage of him after a sitting president was actually shot in cold blood on TV, right? Like today, that would be a movie scene which i guess it it kind of was like that but just and as a news person so as a journalist i can't even imagine covering that um certainly 9/11 was right up there w- w- with that same type of an impact where it was gripping and it was it was tragic and it was devastating and yet you couldn't turn away from the tv
4: i can't imagine being around the assassination just mm. Like the security Mm -hmm. definitely wasn't up to now, especially since all the things happened. So could you imagine being there Mm
2: -mm. like seeing it, hearing it, watching the fallout? No, cannot. So that's an interesting question. It has nothing to do with sports, really, unless sports is your answer. But what is one event in either U.S. or world history that you wish you had seen live, whether on TV or in person? But. Mostly we're kind of thinking of just the coverage and uh, from the TV and radio perspective, since that's what we do around here. For me, it's definitely definitely the moon landing. I just can't imagine watching an event with so much of the the nation and everyone's gripped with anticipation. And again, the Super Bowl does not count, though a third of our nation was tuned in for this most recent Super Bowl. But yeah, could you imagine, as Ryan says, there will likely be another moon landing at some point. So, wow. But just not the same as 1969, though. Not the same. But anyway, that's a fun question. On Twitter, Radio. On our Facebook page, too, we will get to Shohei Otani to be sure. Our phone number, 855-212-4227. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But
1: you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role,
0: like me.
1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
3: You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
2: We have put the question out on both Twitter and Facebook. So you can find my Twitter account, Law Radio. Uh, also, our show Twitter account, After Hours CBS. We'll retweet the post there. Uh, Already getting a bunch of reaction to it and as a history buff this is a tough one for me because there are so many events I wish I had been alive to witness but as I look back on my lifetime and think about the number of historic events I mean there there are plenty that man I'm grateful I didn't miss them. And as much as I say 9-11, of course, hear me, I wish there had never been a 9-11. I'm not telling you that I'm glad it happened because that's ridiculous. But as a journalist, I was early in my career. I had still been working in both the news and sports as a combination. So I was still working as a news anchor and reporter and did sports the other half of the time. And I can clearly remember every last moment in detail of that morning, as many of you can, that Tuesday morning in 2001. And as a journalist, I ended up going into work six or seven hours earlier. I worked with the rest of my newsroom and none of us wanted to go home. We wanted to continue doing our jobs and and. Really, the instincts are to to tell people what you know and, and to try to keep up with breaking news as much as possible. And at the time, I was working in Oklahoma City, and so uh, there was a different fear around the city there, a, a different perspective, because they had just come through the Murrah Federal bombing, the the... The the that bombing happened in 1995, and the the memorial was dedicated just the year before in Oklahoma City. If I have my dates correct, and so it was one of those kind of um, trauma inducing moments for a lot of Americans, of course. But in Oklahoma City, they had just gone through it themselves with domestic terrorism and uh, Timothy McVeigh, and so for them, it it was all different, and it brought back so many. Uh, fears and anxieties and and just memories of that were painful and so that was my perspective working there uh, So th- so yeah, there are a lot of historical events that I've been part of um, But thinking back to some of the others that I wish that I had seen in person um, Number one or not in person obviously you can't see the moon landing in person But witnessing with it with my own eyes on TV with the rest of the United States of America uh, all anticipating and and kind of holding our collective breath Uh, because remember there had been some accidents with NASA there had been some tragedies in the space shuttle program and and with this moon landing program and so it was dangerous we all knew it was dangerous Um, and just to kind of have to wait through those hours of the rest period while the astronauts were sitting in the lunar module on the the moon's surface but weren't getting out. I mean, you wouldn't want to sleep because you'd be afraid that you would miss it. Anyway, that that had to be incredible. My mom has told me about it and, and certainly remembers watching it herself. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. So we're talking about historical events. We wish we had been alive to witness, whether in person or on TV. And... Uh, Ryan's perspective is very different from mine, and I'm sure many of you have your own perspectives. Uh, so if you want to share those, you can do it on either Twitter or Facebook. And our phone number is 855-212-4227. That's eight five five two one two four 212 cbs I will say that I enjoy witnessing sports history as well, uh, first championships or titles, um, the, an achievement that we've never seen before. So uh, many people would point to... The asterisk, proverbial asterisk, next to the name of Barry Bonds, uh, as he broke the home run record for a single season. But I asterisk or not, whether you consider him the home run king or not, I am glad that I witnessed it. I watched it all the way through with with the split uh, perspective and. Uh, definitely the controversial nature of it, but even going back farther than that. And at the time we didn't know that it was steroid induced, but the 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. You want to talk about buzz. For those of you who remember just uh, two summers ago, Aaron judge chasing the American league home run record. This was far bigger, far bigger. And you had, network stopping their broadcast or interrupting their broadcast to show every at bat of Sosa and McGuire and the excitement level over their home run chase and the camaraderie between the two. Now they obviously played in different, uh, they played in different leagues and they played at different times. And so you're not getting them together all the time, but they were, you know, they were kind of nodding to each other The whole thing uh, really gripped, uh, you know, the sports population here in the United States and as many point to brought people back to baseball following the 94 work stoppage. So there are definitely sporting events that I'm glad I had the chance to witness, but they kind of pale in comparison to history, history. I think DeMar Hamlin and his cardiac arrest and the way that the world and not just the sports world, but the way that event gripped the nation and the fact that for two days we were waiting and waiting and waiting with bating breath to get some type of news about him. Um, I know that there are these moments, lots of natural disasters, lots of tragedies that are induced by humans um, that we kind of, as a nation, we come together and we watch for a few hours, maybe a few days, Maybe even a week in the wake of, say, a, a a real terrible mass shooting that claims a lot of lives at schools, that type of thing, churches, grocery stores, obviously. So I'm, I'm not downplaying those, but there are some moments that stand out in our nation's history above the rest, um, and th- these are ones that are put in history books, right? These are ones that people read about or now Google and watch years down the road. So what are the events that you wish you had witnessed, been alive to witness or or witnessed in person? Uh, let's see, a tweet from uh, Call Me Los. Not glad it happened, but the dropping of the A-bomb, that time forever changed the world, right? The atom bomb, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And uh, if for those of you who are in the D.C. area or you ever visit the D.C. area, they actually have... Uh, the plane in one of their museums. It's the Udvar Hazy Museum. It's part of, it's part of the the DC system. Uh, so the shoot, what's the name of it? I it, the <laughs> crap. What's the name of the the museum system? Yeah, the Smithsonian. It's part of that, but it's out near Dulles Airport. It's not down on the Mall in DC. Um, anyway, it's incredible because they've got all these planes from significant events going back to various dates in history. And so you can actually see the plane that dropped the atom bomb. I mean, it's wow. You stand there. Well, at least I stood there in awe, in complete awe um, to, to actually, and you're within, well, it's a, it's maybe six feet away from you, but you could actually reach out. If you really wanted to get in trouble, you could actually read out, reach out and touch it. It's called the Enola Gay and it's right there in that museum. Um, So yeah, there's, So many uh, historical events that, gosh, not only shaped our nation, but were impactful in terms of the media coverage and in terms of the news coverage. Tim says on Twitter, I'm a huge American Civil War buff and Gettysburg is my home away from home. I definitely go with Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address a three-minute speech that would be the most famous in American history. Yeah, how many of us had to memorize that, or at least the beginning of it when we were in school? Ryan, can you remember the beginning?
4: Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth a great <laughs> nation. I think that's what the beginning is.
2: That's that's amazing. Uh, let's see. Troy says, the end of World War II, everyone is so ecstatic in the film, you see. Yeah, you wonder how accurate they are, but there are some of these films that are done about military history and battles that people will tell you are relatively accurate, and these days, I think there's more and more of a push to bring on historical experts or military experts to make sure they're as accurate as possible. Uh, I do love military history, and so I am I do watch a lot of the, the films or the documentaries made about wars and I can't, it's not like I can do it every week because some of them are really difficult to, to watch and to stomach. But some of the the documentaries have been made about World War I and D-Day and, and uh, the beaches of Normandy and all of that. Man, they're incredible. These days, it feels like documentaries are where it's at, though. Even more than movies that you might see in a theater, it's the documentaries that really drive it home. So on Twitter, A Law Radio, our show Twitter, or on Facebook, it's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast Queue. And guess what?